We're going to be jumping back into 1 Peter. I know it's been a little while. We, 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 we held off uh, during the Christmas season to kind of hit Christmas really hard and, and, and get that, that message out. So we're going to be back in 1 Peter today, so it would be a good place to turn. But, um, you know, Peter in, his, in his, uh, his, his letter, he's talking a lot about suffering, you know, and I, and I think a lot of us can acknowledge that there's a lot of suffering in this world right now. Um, you know, I, during 2020 and 2021, I really, I watched my daughters suffer as they were at home on a computer. That was really hard for them. And then to then go back to class and be forced to wear a mask, that was, there was a level of suffering from that. We all, we all experienced suffering. We, you know, you, you, you kick, a, you're walking, you hit, kick a rock and, and, and you, your toe suffers. It, it hurts. Like we, we, we recognize that. And that's part of the human experience of suffering. Um, and there's other su- sufferings. There's sufferings at the, as a result of our own stupid and sinful actions. And last week I had my own bit of stupid and sinful actions. Well, uh, we had a, a packed out church service last week. And um, it, was, it was full in here. It was, the, it was the New Year service. And we had some friends come in town and stay at our house over the, over the New Year's Eve. And uh, so we had 10 people in our house, in our house that was built in 1934. That may be a little, little sign of things to come. And, and they, so they, crazy fun night. They have three boys the same age as our three girls, and it's just a longtime family friend. So they were at our house uh, mon- uh, that, that Saturday night, and I was saving a whole row of seats last Sunday. You probably saw me back over here, and I was having to do this like, I'm sorry, it's saved. You know, and, like, I felt really bad. I felt like... That, that pastor that's like, I don't know, saving a whole row of seats because it took my wife a little bit to get here. In fact, I'm looking at my clock going, it's, it's five after. Oh, no. Like, I'm texting my wife, honey, where are you? And then 10 after rolls around. I'm like, oh, this is getting really uncomfortable, really awkward to save this whole row for my, my, my clan. And then 10.15 rolls around, and my wife arrives, and I'm like, kind of whisper, honey, that was really awkward. I had to wait for so long. She's like, we know what was really bad? The plumbing that exploded in our house. She's like, that was, that was a really rough morning for me. And I'm like, I, I, I took my shoe and I ate it. Sometimes we suffer for our own stupid words. Um, but then just part of the suffering of, of of being a human in this fallen and sinful world, we, we, we go through really hard things or people around us do. In college, I had a, a really tough situation happen around me. You see, um, I was part of Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, it's now known as CRU. And uh, each, each summer, students are given the opportunity to go away and do a missions trip. And uh, there was a number of different opportunities that were presented to me. And I got asked if I would go with a friend to Newport Beach to do my summer project there. And I said, suffering for Jesus in Newport Beach, I can do that. <laughs> and uh, it was just, it turned out to be an amazing situation. What, what, what Campus Crusade does is they get you plugged in with a job or you have to go out and find a job there in Newport Beach. And so you do workplace evangelism. 
and you get to know your employee, your, the, the, um, the employer. Uh, you get to know the other people working with you. You minister to people as they come in. So I worked at a kayak shop that summer. It was, it was really fun. Uh, paddle power, I don't know if it's still there. Um, but great, great people to work with. And that's what you do during the day. And then at evening, you get together and, and you gather up with these 55 other college students that were put in this apartment that rented out a whole apartment complex for the summer. So we had 55 students plus the staff leadership that were there in this building. And it was just an amazing summer of growth. A lot of, a lot of growing pains and a lot of good things and hard things that we went through as a, as a, as a, as a group of students. And um, a few weeks into the, the, the project, we, would, we were doing different uh, kind of um, get-to-know-each-other events and stuff like that. And well, we had a, one of those events at the beach. And um, it was my summer of taking a break. I had been a beach lifeguard down in Santa Barbara, and, and I was taking that break to come here and do you know, the, the Newport Beach Summer Project. And one of the games that we decided to play was a game we called Rescue. And so what it meant is somebody went out in the water we separated into three groups, and three people went out in the water, and then we took turns rescuing this person. It was kind of a rescue relay to see who was going to go tag that, that person, that victim out there, and then, and then bring it, and then it kind of just shuffles, and then all, tell your whole team to see who was the first to go cycle through this whole thing. Well, there was a, there was a couple other swimmers that were, that were there as well, and um, I remember being teamed up and I was going to swim against or, or try to race out to my person to rescue. Uh, and there was another gal next to me. She was actually one of the staff. She was, although she just graduated college, she was part of the staff team. And uh, her and I jumped in the water at the same time. And this is Newport Beach. Got some waves. So we jumped in the same time. And as I'm swimming out to go rescue my person, I hear some yelling behind me. And I thought, oh, they're cheering me on. And I turned back and they weren't cheering me on. They were looking at this other gal. And so I quickly, she's a few yards away from me, I quickly turned over to her, and she was floating face down. And what had happened is that during our game, I, I had jumped over the wave, and she had ended up jumping into what she thought was a wave, and the wave sucked up, and she landed on the, the shore, and she broke her neck. And so there I was... And I, I flipped her over in the water. I was a beach lifeguard, thankfully, and I, I held her in C-spine. We were able to get her into the water onto the shore. And I held her hand head as, as she said, I, Jeremy, I can't, feel my, I can't feel my limbs. I can't feel anything. And it was, we, we had all the students praying for her, and, and there I held C-spine until the paramedics and ambulance came. And she never recovered. She's still, to this day, a quadriplegic because of that accident that happened on the beach. And being a beach lifeguard, I felt responsible for that because I should have known. I should have known that the waves are, the way the waves are throwing, the way the waves are working, that you got to be really careful in doing that stuff. But I was just in the game mode. I was just in this competition thing, and I wasn't looking out for it. So I took on a lot. I mean, I was suffering. I went from being really active in the group to really pulling back into my cave, into my shell. And that was rough. And it was one of the reasons why Went halfway through the summer, the, the paid staff, they leave, they leave it in charge, they leave the student leadership in charge, and I was told by the director, Jeremy, we're not going to put you in charge of leadership, of being a student leader, because of how you handled that situation, how you pulled back, and how you really were not existing, you were just so reserved that you weren't a help to others. 
that your suffering had caused you to, to pull back. And that's exactly the opposite of what God is calling us to do. What Peter is encouraging these, these, these believers in the time, he's going to call the believers into, during this time of suffering, into pushing into all that God has given us and all that God has for us. So not taking that time of suffering to put, get in your shell, but to really press into it. So we suffer for different reasons, right? We suffer under a number, we suffer because we're part of the human race, because we're part of this sinful, fallen world. But suffering wasn't always in our story. In fact, the Christian story starts with glory. The Christian story starts with the garden where everything was very good before suffering entered the picture. And it was in that place, very good, that there was a tree that Adam ate from and that caused sin to enter the world. And at that moment, the glory of God was taken, was maybe unclothed off Adam. And ever since then, we've been trying to get to that glory. We've been trying to get that glory back. And it wasn't until Jesus Christ that the suffering makes sense and the glory in the future will be revealed. So that's part of just suffering as a human race. And then there's a result of suffering for your stupid words or your stupid actions or just the suffering from sin that Peter's going to say, hey, Christians, don't be doing that. The third is that Christians, we're going to suffer because we're Christians following Christ. That is the audience that Peter's going to write to. He's writing to an audience. This letter was written about 63, 64 AD, right about the time of Nero's persecution of the church. He he was coming hard against the church. Uh, He was using Christians as candles. They, They called them Nero's torches. They're called Roman candles. He would use, once the light was set in the city, he would, he would take Christians, because he, had a, he despised them, he would wrap them up in flammable material and set them on fire and said, and he would say, ha, ah, you're the light of the world, you're the light of the world, mocking them. And so when Peter is writing this letter, he knows a thing about suffering and he knows, or he has a, a sense from God about the suffering that these Christians are about ready to enter. And so that was the impetus for writing this letter is to allow and to encourage these Christians as they're suffering. But we ask the question often during that is why is there suffering in the world? So many people have asked the question, if God is so good, why does he allow suffering? And every different religion, every, every person has a different belief, a different theology for suffering. You know, the Buddhists and Hindus, in a sense, would say that it's karma from a past sin or error from another life, that you'll work it through, and then when you die and you're resurrected or you're, you go around the circle of life again, that you'll get a chance to work through those things, the mistakes that you've made in the past, and it's just this endless cycle that keeps going. Muslims would believe that everything that bad that happens is Allah's will, that it's just... Suffering is part of Allah's will. The good, the bad, you just have to take it all and you have to submit unto Allah for all the good and the bad and it, it, he, he just, he, he, it's just hit, he allows it to happen. He, he has it happen. And so you just have to submit unto that. And you have to wait for the, what their, their, their future glory is waiting for. Atheism, has, it, it's, it's, it's a mixed bag because some atheists want to say, well, they want to blame God that they're suffering in the world and yet, on the other hand, they want to deny his existence. And it's hard, as, as I went through and I was kind of trying to get a grasp on what atheists do with death, it was this mixed bag, and some atheists are like, yeah, admitted that, yes, this is a very hard subject for us to broach because 
They said, well, you're just part of the carbon cycle. You die and that's it. And it, it, it is really a meaningless existence if you, if you get down to it. But that's where Christianity is different. Christianity has a purpose. Suffering wasn't always there, but suffering's part of our story now. And it's suffering that will allow us to experience the glory that God, that we give God through our suffering and in, in God. Peter, in his letter right here, is showing us how not to just survive under suffering, but to thrive under suffering and to grow in our faith. So because it's been a little while since we've gone to Peter, I, I want to go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. And let's read a few verses there. Because I think this sets the, this sets the tone for Peter's letter. So 1 Peter chapter 1, and I should maybe pray before we read. How about that? Lord, thank you for this room of experience, Lord. We all have different ways that we suffer, Lord. I pray that, that, that this letter from written, written by the hand of Peter, but uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Lord, would speak into our hearts and our conditions now. Would maybe even prepare us for the things that we don't even know yet that are to come of our sufferings, Lord. But Lord, you do. And you're the God, you're the creator. You're a good God. You allow suffering to happen for a purpose, Lord. And so teach us this morning in Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Paul is, knows his audience. He knows the sufferings that they're going through, and he has a sense of the sufferings that are yet to come that are going to be really brutal. And yet his hope, he says, we have a living hope. And it's a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is our hope as Christians, is that Jesus' body will never be found. That Jesus died, was buried, and then he resurrected. That is the gospel message throughout, throughout scriptures. If you go back to 1 Corinthians 15, as Paul was saying, this is the gospel, this is, the, this is what was passed on to me, he said, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, For I delivered you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Peter would say that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation for our belief as Christians. And today, so there are some within the Christian community that want to divorce Jesus from his resurrection that says, well, it doesn't really matter whether Jesus rose again from the dead. I just want to read his red letter words and I want to believe those. But I, I would say that is not being a follower of Christ because Peter, or sorry, Paul in his first Corinthians letter went on to say that if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. He would say that you are still in your sins. And he would say that if Christ has not risen, that we are the most to be pitied as followers. So if resurrection, if Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is not part of your belief in who Jesus is and what he's done, 
I would say you need to re-examine yourself. Re-examine yourself. I think it, he, he follows that up in Romans 10, 9 and 10. He said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Those things are linked. Confession, confession is Jesus as your Lord and Savior and, you being, and him being raised from the dead. That is so, so important. Peter goes on in his letter back in 1 Peter chapter one. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that are the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at all the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom you having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believe and you rejoice with exceeding uh, inexpressible and uh, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That is our ultimate goal, is the salvation of our souls through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So suffering is part of our story. And suffering was definitely part of that first century church's story. As Nero is persecuting them, Peter is now showing us how to thrive under suffering, not just to survive. This is like, in, in, as we come to this passage in 1 Peter 4, um, verse 7, you can almost imagine a locker room conversation. Team, his, uh, this coach is coming to his teammates, and he's saying, or his team, and he's saying, hey, we're behind we got half the game. We got, the, we got a part of the game left. Let's focus in. Let's do this. You know, it's going to be hard out there. They're going to try their things. But, but you guys have the ability. Let's go and let's get this done. And that's Peter's encouragement right here. And this is what he says in verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, as each one has received a gift. Minister it to, it, to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability with which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter would say that the, the end of all things is, is at hand. And I, I, my, my first question is, really? You wrote this almost 2,000 years ago or 1,900 years ago. It really is the end of all things at hand. Well, one, the end of, the end of Nero's uh, carnage would soon end in 68 AD when he chose to take his own life, but not before he brought crazy, crazy persecution to the church. So there was an, a, a, an end to our lives as we know them now, but there will be a, f- a future glory. But the end of all things is at hand. And then he says, that gives the word of encouragement, therefore be serious and be watchful in your prayers. As you know the end is approaching, as you look out and you see the signs that Christ is coming back, we're called to be serious and watchful in our prayers. And I want to say that Peter of all people, could write this. 
Because Peter, of all people, blew it the, the most. Peter in the garden, in the garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus knows what he's heading into that night and the next day for his crucifixion, Peter is one of the, tw- you know, one of the three intimate disciples that Jesus pulls aside and he says, hey, Peter, come with me while I pray. Peter, James, and John, they all t- come with Jesus a little farther than the other disciples. They thought they must have been, ooh, I'm, we're, we're just that cool that we get to be separated from the other disciples that Jesus would pull us. And he takes them and says, hey, p- pray and be watchful. And then Jesus goes a little distance and he begins to pour his heart out to God. And as he's pouring his heart out to God, that's when he begins to, to sweat drops of blood. And he comes back to his disciples who he asked to watch and pray and they're asleep. Peter, James, John, wake up. Wake up, be watchful and pray. And he go, Jesus retreats again and then he comes back once again finds his disciples asleep again. So I think when... My thought was that when Peter was writing this, he thought back to that night in the garden when he missed it, he blew it. And so now his encouragement for us who are awake and know the end is approaching is he says, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And he says above that, above all things, we have fervent love for one another for love will cover a multitude of sins. What Peter is trying to do is to get us away from our natural habit of, of under-suffering, under-hardships, of retreating, of pulling back into our shells, of, of hiding or of, of thinking only of ourselves. Peter is saying, hey, under-suffering, and, these, and it will, you will have suffering, this is what I'm calling you, have a fervent, have a feverish love for one another. Don't just hide away, but love and press into that love and show others love, as, even as how hard it is. Peter uh, had a wife. Uh, Peter took his wife on a number of different missionary trips. Peter's wife was murdered, martyred by Nero right in front of his eyes, history tells us. As she's about ready to be put to death, Peter's encouragement was, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. And he, she went to her death, and he not only a few years later. Be fervent in your love for another. He was encouraging her to remember Jesus, her Savior. Because a love will cover a multitude of sins. There's a, there's, there's a lot to be said about how love will cover over and wash over the things that we do that irritate even within the church. Steve, myself, any of us pastors, we're not perfect. We need to be loved. We need to be held over with a fervent love because of our sins as well. But love will cover multiple sins. So instead of withdrawing under suffering, push into loving one another. And how do we do that? Well, we do that right here in verse 9. We do, we do that by hospitality. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And then it reminds us that each one has received a gift, so therefore minister with that. And hospitality is one of those gifts of the Spirit. And if you have the hospitality where you love to open your home to others, that is an amazing gift that God has given you. And I would say, pray to, that you would take advantage of that during the times of suffering, especially suffering of others. When, we, when my wife and I were able to purchase a house in Santa Maria about four years ago. We were living in Santa Barbara. I was working for a contractor back then. 
And so I would commute to Santa Maria. And we found this house in Santa Maria. It was right down the, the, the street from the in-laws, for better or for worse. Uh, it was a great, it was a great, it was, we got it for a great deal. Um, we knew we were buying a fixer-upper, but that was, we were okay with that. But it was going from, I think, 1,100 square feet to 2,200 square feet. From a two-bedroom apartment in Santa Barbara to a three-bedroom you know, two dens. It was, it was just, it was just kind of crazy. So I, I told my wife, I was like, Maggie, when we first, when we move in, I just, just the, the front living room is not going to be used. But when we bought the house, we also knew that we wanted to use it for the God's glory. We wanted to open up our house. We wanted to use that hospitality gift that, that we've been given. And so I uh, met with Christy and said, hey, Christy, do we need, a, do we need to open up a life group at, down in Santa Maria? And she said, that would be so great. I said, okay, the, the one problem is, our room that's big enough to hold, you know, house a number of people, we have no furniture. We have no furniture. She's like, well, that's fine. People can sit on the ground. You can borrow some chairs from church. I was like, okay, that's cool. Well, it just, just so happened that week that uh, my client that was living in a $13 million Montecito home decided that they were going to be upgrading to a $27 million Montecito home, wanted none of the furniture from that home, and so she, the owner came to me and she said, hey, Jeremy, we got all this furniture. Would you just, can you take it to like a thrift store or can you like, can you just find a home for it? And I said, can, I, can it be my home? And, and they like, they gave me the okay. So... I called my wife on the way home. I had a van, a van full of uh, furniture. I was like, honey, we got couches, we got tables, we got like everything. And God just filled up our home and we were, for a season until Winnie came, for a season we were able to open up our home and really host. And it was a, it was a great time and I look forward to those things again. So be hospitable with one another. But these gifts that God's given, verse 10 says, for each one has received a gift, minister to it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. See, when Christ left us, he didn't leave us alone. He gave us gifts. Last, the last time I got to preach from 1 Peter 4, I talked about what, what happened when Jesus died. When Jesus died on the cross, his body was separated from his spirit. His body went in the ground, but his spirit went down to Sheol, to Hades. And it was down in Sheol and Hades that Jesus went and proclaimed to, to the, the spirits that are in Tartarus that he had, he had won, that they had, he had he had defeated them, that they would no longer have any part in any of the future kingdom to come. And he, he proclaimed his defeat over them. And then he went to the paradise side of Sheol, Abraham's bosom, where there were saints there that were held by captivity, by death in that place. And they were waiting for the Messiah to free them from their sin, to pay for the sin of, of, of death. For, to pay for the punishment. And so when Jesus went down to that side of paradise, when he told the thief, you'll, you'll be with me in paradise today, he was saying, you will be with me in Abraham's bosom today. And he went down there and he preached the message and he said, I am the Messiah that you've been waiting for. And then he took those that had been waiting for the Messiah and he said, let's go to heaven. And he took captivity captive. And when Ephesians 4 says, when he took captivity captive, he left gifts for men. And that's what he's given the church. He's given each and every one of you gifts that are for the building up and the edification of the church of Christ, for this church. And so giving the gifts, these are just a few mentioned that are here. But Peter is saying, don't, 
pull back when suffering comes, actually press into those gifts and minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Gifts have been given to you, so God wants you to use them within the church, within the community. And those, some of those gifts are, are, are gifts of, uh, of service, of serving one another. Hospitality would be one of that. There's different gifts that First Corinthians will mention. The gifts here are said, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability with God, which God supplies. So we are called to use the gift that we have for the church, for others. And some are given gifts of, of ministering to others. Some are given gifts of words. The oracles of God, I believe, speak to the words of knowledge, uh, uh, gifts, uh, words of, prof- of small prophecies to other people. These are gifts that God allows us to speak to others, to minister to them through hard times. And we're, we're called to, to do that, to share in these gifts with one another. We do that because it glorifies God, that may God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever. Jesus Christ gave us gifts to be used within the church for the building up of the church, the body of Christ. So don't pull back in hard seasons. Press in. Press in. Because now Peter's going to shift a little bit and he's, and he's going to almost speak in a prophetic way because he's going to say, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial with which you are, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. When we're pressed, when, we, when suffering enters our life, something pours out of it. Something comes out. And I've seen over my, my, my lifetime how suffering has caused some people around me to exemplify and to show God's glory. One of those was with my dad. My, 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 one of my cornerstones of faith when I was growing up. My dad was 40, 47, 48 when he was diagnosed with kidney cancer metastatic renal cell carcinoma. When he was diagnosed, he was already at stage four, which is there's only five stages. He was found in his, uh, his kidney was the size of a Nerf football, and uh, they found 12 nodes, inoperable nodes in his lungs. My dad had been serving the Lord as a missionary overseas and, and stateside since he was a young man, since he was an adult, basically. He gave his life when he was uh, 17 years old, and as soon as he moved out of the house, he went to Long Beach, and he served at a missions, uh, on a missions organization. And then he went overseas for a part-time where I was born, and then he met my mom, and they, 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 we had, they had me there. Um, but my whole life, my dad served the Lord, and so when he got cancer, there was a lot of people that were like, whoa, Doug, what, what's happening? You, you've served the Lord the whole, this whole time. How, how, could, how could God do this? How could God allow this suffering to come into your life? And my dad didn't see it that way. My dad didn't see it that way. My dad saw it as an opportunity to have a different type of missions field. And my dad going to USC and UCLA and all these different experimental medical treatments that they did, he saw those doctors as his mission field. 
It was a changed mission field from what he was used to, but he saw it. And my dad impacted those doctors because my dad would see them week by week, and, and over the course of time, they would see my dad and his, his attitude, his countenance, just who he was, and they, a number of those doctors would come to my dad and say, Doug, what is different about you? How, how are you so cheerful? Like, what, what is going on? And he got to share at, that point, at those times about Jesus and how Jesus had impacted his life. And it was a powerful for me to witness but also our family was looking as well. One of my uncles, is, he's, he's, always the, he's the guy at the family gatherings that everybody can always hear no matter what room they're in. And he's like this larger than life, loud, sometimes a little brash, self-made man. Like he was a Vietnam vet and then he just built this, his own little mini empire. And, and you know, he, he eventually, his, his, the highlight was living in Balboa Island, you know, driving all these fancy European cars. That was like my uncle. And my uncle was a, such a self-made man that he didn't need anything. He thought religion was, eh, you know, that was for, that's for those who need a little crutch. Those are the weak. But seeing my dad suffer through cancer, seeing my dad over the course of those 27 months, one night he called my dad and he said, Doug, there's something about you that I don't have. And all my, in everything I've ever done, I, I do not have what you have. And he said, Doug, I want to come down and see you tomorrow, but I'm, I, I want to right now in my own bedroom, I want to get on my knees and I want you to pray with me to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It was an amazing moment. And my dad got off the phone. He was like, Uncle Tom just accepted the Lord. <laughs> like, who would have thought kind of thing? Um, it, was, it was rad, but all because of the suffering. So these fiery trials that they come can allow us to either pull back or to press in. And Peter knew the trials that were to come, or at least he had a, God had, the Spirit had given him the inkling to these, these, these things that were to come. Don't, he said, don't think it's strange thing that happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. See, we don't, we, don't, we don't add to the sufferings of Christ, we partake in them. The sufferings of Christ was one and done on the cross. That was it. But when we get to suffer as a Christian, we get to partake in his sufferings. It says that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with succeeding joy. Then he's going to get down to the third part of suffering, the suffering that happens to Christians because of our beliefs. Nero is mocking the Christians saying, you're the light of the world as they're burning in his, in his torches. It was mockery. And Peter would say, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of God, of gl spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. As the sufferings come, fragrance comes out. That's what 2 Corinthians would say. It talks about fragrance of Christ. To some, we're, we're the fragrance of death. Like it smell, We smell horrible to some people because of what comes out of us and the crushings. But to some people, they say, wow, this person is suffering, and yet they're, they're pouring out this life, this, this goodness, these fruits. What, what is, what, I want to I know more about that. 
Jesus and Paul is, sorry, Peter is saying, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. God is glorified as we suffer and as we glorify him. Verse 15 says, but, but let you, none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. So don't go and rob somebody's house, be put in jail and say, oh, I'm just suffering for Jesus. No, you're suffering because of sin, right? But I think it's interesting that Peter would say that we would put a murderer with a busybody who's getting busy in other people's manners. I think that God's serious about gossip. Stay away from gossip. Stay away about being so busy in other people's matters that you're not watching yourself. Verse 16 says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. You know, we don't know what 2023 is going to bring. When, when, when 2019, I, I just started church here, or I just started youth ministry. I made a little card that said 2020 vision. I thought 2020 was going to be this amazing year. I was just getting ready for this amazing vision that was going to happen. I was just, I had just taken over the youth ministry, and I'm like, yes, I did not see that happen. So I don't, I don't want to be boastful like I was back then and just know what's going to happen in 2023 or 2024. We don't, we don't know. But we see some of the different legislations that's, that are getting passed in our state and our nation, and, and we see the inkling of that suffering might be coming. You know, I am, I am, I'm a pre-trib rapture guy. I believe this, the scripture clearly te- te- teaches that we will be raptured before the tribulation, the seven years of God's wrath upon the world. But that does not mean I don't believe we'll, we'll, we'll go through su- sufferings. There are sufferings throughout the world of Christians. Christians around the world are being put to death, being uh, being persecuted, I, I don't think that, that we might escape all suffering because we're Christians. But, so we have to have a doctrine of theology that understands suffering in its place and is okay with that. I've been, I've been yelled at by another Christian because he called me an escapist and I, I, I didn't know what to quite, quite do with that at the time because yes, I do want to escape God's wrath. I don't believe scripture teaches that but yet I believe that there could be and there will be some suffering yet in our, still in our future. And so now is the time to prepare. And that's what Peter is encouraging his guys, his, these people, the readers of the letter. Yet if any of you suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for the judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end to those who do not obey the gospel? This judgment is a judgment of fire a refiner's fire. A refiner's fire burns up the wood, hay, and stubble, and it leaves the, the, what the refiner's trying to do. It leaves the good stuff, the gold. And so these sufferings are like a refiner's fire that are burning away the temporary stuff in our lives to get us ready for the eternal things that we have yet to come. I think the world sometimes thinks that if you remove suffering, you'll have glory. But God, the Bible says that through suffering, we'll have glory. 
So if us as the children have to experience this refiner's fire, what about those who do not obey the gospel? Verse 18 says, Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? Therefore let them suffer according to the will of God, commit their souls to him in doing good as a faithful creator. We don't run into suffering. We don't seek suffering out. Unless you're a weightlifter and you want to build your muscles, then, you, then that's suffering. But we suffer according to the will of God. And we commit our soul to him who's doing good and as a faithful creator. We, we realize that identifying as a Christian in this world will someday soon bring us persecution. And we say, yes, Lord, if that is your will, we'll do that. I kind of call it this, the school of suffering. I learned the school of suffering through my dad's passing away and watching my mom's passing away as well. Suffering's part of this world, but when you have a theology that believes that God is good and that he does good, and that suffering wasn't part of the original story, it's a part of our story now, but it will someday not be, we allow the suffering to do what it needs to do in our life. It was that suffering on the cross where Jesus was hanging that the centurion down below looked and said, wow, this truly is the Son of God. This man was the Son of God. He, he recognized through Jesus' sufferings. As God is our creator, we allow these sufferings. We, we allow the, the artist to work in our life, the author and the finisher of our faith to do what he needs to do but suffer according to the will of God. Not, not suffer because of stupidity. When I was young, I thought jumping off a 35-foot uh, bridge into six feet of water would be a great idea. I suffered for a few weeks as I hobbled around because I hit the bottom. And then I didn't, les- I didn't learn my lesson, and I jumped off my roof into my shallow end of my pool and banged the same foot. That was not suffering according to the will of God. I was suffering because of my stupidity. So let's suffer according to the will of God. One more story for you. Uh, Ray Comfort tells a story of a, a small passenger airplane that's flying over the ocean. And the, uh, the pilot calls the two flight attendants up and he says, hey, I need you to be calm but I've just learned that there's a, a huge crack in the fuselage and that this plane could go down at any minute. I need you to go back and del- start bringing the uh, parachutes to the passengers and tell them to put on because we don't know at any moment this plane is going to go down. So the flight attendants get that news. They're like, are you see? Yeah, yeah, it's real. Okay, so they go back and they begin to distribute the parachutes. And one of the, one of the flight attendants was a little bit more on the timid side. She didn't want to rock the boat. So she was like, okay, um, here, you should wear this parachute because it'll make the trip more comfortable for you. <laughs> she didn't want to like, you know, don't, don't make everybody worry. So here, wear this parachute because it'll make you funny. And some of the passengers hearing her message were like, well, that's silly. This is a, I mean, I, I'm doing just fine. Others are like, well, I'll try it on. So they put on the, the parachute and they, they sit in their the seat and it's pretty uncomfortable. They can't sit up straight. It's, you know, it's just, it's just, it's, it's messing with them. 
So over time here, they, they begin to take it off. Because why, why keep this parachute on on a great flight? It's not, it's, it's, not, it's not making me more comfortable. It's making my flight worse. But you see, the other flight attendant, she went to her passengers, and she said, this plane could go down at any moment. You need to put this parachute on so that your life will be saved. And even then, some of the, the passengers said, well, the, the plane seems fine. It's not, it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. No, 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 there's a crack in the future. You don't understand. No, it's fine. I, I, I'm going to choose not to wear it. But then there's some who took that parachute and they said, I don't care what happens. I am wearing this parachute. I don't care if everybody's making fun of me. I don't care if they're pointing fingers at me. I, this, is my, this is what's going to save me. And when we go through life, we, we, we look to Christ. He is our only Savior. You, you know, Peter was given that same choice of what he was going to put on. In John 6, uh, 66 and six, uh, through 69, Jesus had some really hard things to say, some really controversial things, some, some things that people are like saying, oh, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like this, Jesus. And so they began to leave. They began to walk away from Jesus. And Jesus, looking at his 12 disciples, he went back and, and he walked with, and Jesus said to his 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and to know that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are our only Savior, and we're going to hold on to you no matter what. So that would be my prayer for this morning. As we look at 2023 as much as we can, what are you holding on to? What's going to save you? What are you going to allow the suffering that does come according to the will of God, what are you going to allow that to do in your life? Let's pray. Lord, we look to you as our faithful creator. You are good and you do good. We trust in your provision. We trust you for the gifts that you've given each and every person in this room, Lord gifts to minister and serve one another. For those who are in this room that are maybe suffering, Lord Jesus, I pray you'd, uh, suffering in the weight of their own sin, suffering in the weight of just the human experience, Lord, I pray you'd bring them a comfort. But Lord, solidify our faith in you, Jesus, that we know that we can trust you no matter what we have to go through in this next year. God, you are so good and you do good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.